Kennedy Paradox, Chapter 8. Centerville, Vermont, Friday, February 24th, 1961, 3.37 p.m. After Jeffries returned to the shed, Patch, holding a yellow wall phone receiver, thanked Becky for the meal. She retreated through the den and up the stairs as he pretended to telephone his unit. He watched a black and white Alberto VO5 commercial as a woman raked a comb through her stiff hair on a bulky TV in the den. He stared at the next ad for arid extra dry deodorant. Arid roll-on, no stains, he said in a low voice. Then he raised his voice as Becky descended the stairs. Yes, Sergeant, I'm fine. Becky cleaned the dishes as he spoke into the omnipresent dial tone and frequently used Mankiewicz's name. We'll proceed, Kincaid out. He set the receiver on the hook. In 1961, Mankiewicz worked as a college professor in New Jersey or New York. He tapped his clenched fist against the phone. Success, Captain? She asked from the sink. Just a slight delay, my unit is in New Jersey. She opened her huge blue eyes and produced a wide smile. You have your orders. You got that right. Can I help you with the dishes? No, Captain, you have your hands full. You're welcome to stay here until they get you. We have spare bedrooms upstairs. Thank you, I appreciate that. We all have a duty to help a lost serviceman. You know, ask what you can do for your country. Well, thanks. As he gazed across the yard toward the shed, he tried to figure out Mankiewicz's exact location. Would you mind if I talk to your husband? Go right ahead. Patch grabbed his coat off the hall rack. He opened the door and stepped down into the cooler air. The chickens had left the yard. Shadows fell over the snowy fields and the wooded hillside beyond. Patch rubbed his hands. Come on, Ray. Where did you work? Mankiewicz, 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 New Jersey, New Jersey. College. He snapped his fingers. Returning from a New Jersey reunion, Mankiewicz, less than a year ago, had remarked about how the college and surrounding area had changed. Barton College, professor of applied physics. Ray, you're in your 20s, and you're about to meet your protege. You say something, Captain? asked Jeffries from the shed door. Yes, sir. He crossed the yard. Mr. Jeffries, I need to get to New Jersey. Jeffries tilted his head and furrowed his brow. Isn't your unit coming to get you? No, sir. They stepped inside the shed. Men carried the metal buckets inside. There's something I need to tell you. Sure, speak up, Captain. Mr. Jeffries, I'm on what you might call a special mission. There are reasons that I can't go into why I was dropped off in the hills. I need transportation to my contact in New Jersey. I ain't got the resources to drive you down to New Jersey, Captain. Jeffrey stroked his chin. But my neighbor, Bud Callahan, drives truck. Let me track down Bud and see where he's headed. Thank you. You're helping your country more than you know. Jeffrey squinted. I'll take you at your word, Captain. You finish your mission. Centerville, Vermont, Friday, February 24th, 1961, 8.30 p.m. Near a green glass desk lamp, Jeffries looked up from his paperwork on the kitchen table and checked his wristwatch. Bud should be back from town pretty soon, Captain. Or I can call Marge, said Becky from the wide green chair across from the television set. 
Several colorful yarn skeins covered her lap. She meticulously maneuvered two bronze knitting needles. Let's give them another 15 minutes. Then we'll call the house, honey pie. Patch smiled at Jeffrey's use of the pet name. From the flowery sofa, he watched a black and white newscast on the Emerson. Film trumped videotape, and the world had not yet become instantaneous. Not much plastic around either. Jeffries performed his business calculations on a hand-cranked adding machine. Basic LED calculators, cellular phones, and fax machines existed only in the future. Only the government and corporations used the bulky computers, constructed to the size of an average room and with limited memory storage. This world had oversized cars and no one worried about gasoline prices. Becky walked across the room and turned the channel to a cartoon with a laugh track. She returned to the chair, picked up her knitting and glanced at Patch. There, Fred, Barney, Wilmer and Betty. Hey, wait, wait one minute there, Mrs. Jeffries. Like working a slot machine, Jeffries pulled down the calculation machine's handle and pointed. Last week, you watched that Flintstones show. This week, it's Route 66. Flint, Flint, Flintstones, you big grizzly bear. Flint. She crinkled her nose and giggled. He's right. Wilton always keeps track of everything like a giant scoreboard in his head. Patch nodded and stared at the cartoon. A comedy show about a prehistoric family with 1960s attitudes. With no remote, Becky again crossed the room. She twisted the TV dial to a shot of a sleek Corvette traveling down a desolate black and white highway. Patch thought about Minkowitz. Some intelligence agency had set up a cover at his college. He chided himself for allowing the code name of Mankiewicz's covert operation to escape him. More importantly, Carlos Sanchez loomed in Florida or Cuba, posing as an anti-Castro exile. Maybe if he just traveled to Florida and killed Carlos, the world would avert the fiery hell awaiting millions not yet born. Jeffries kissed his wife on the cheek and then settled into the worn green easy chair. We'll both watch the Twilight Zone later. How's that? Sounds good, she said, her mouth curling up with a smile. Becky's wide brow tight. Can't keep the captain waiting for a ride, Wilton. The thick cherry pipe smoke spread into the room. Well, then call Bud. With a gentle smile, Becky set down her knitting and headed into the kitchen. Look, Captain. Todd and Buzz are in L.A., said Jeffries. You watch the show? Well, when I can. Buzz will get into a scuffle with somebody, maybe that drunk walking by the bus station. Patch grinned as he listened to Becky grill her friend on the kitchen phone. Well, if Bud's heading south, this man needs a ride. I know Bud doesn't like riders, Marge, but as a favor to Wilton and me. Jeffries stood with his pipe. That guy just hit Buzz with a purse. This is very strange. Wouldn't you say so, Captain? Guy probably stole the purse. That's what I thought. Buzz won't let him get away with it. There he goes. Chase him, Buzz. Chase him, said Jeffrey's sitting down. The pipe went back in his mouth. Becky reappeared in the kitchen opening. What's going on in here, Wilton? Buzz is chasing a purse snatcher. Becky shook her head. Well, I just talked to Marge. Blondhead woman told him not to chase the guy, said Jeffrey's. Becky turned to Patch. You've got yourself a ride, Captain. Bud Callahan isn't exactly the most sociable guy. He likes to haul his freight alone, but Marge says she'll talk him into it. He'll have his rig here in the morning. 
He's driving to North Carolina so he can drop you off in New Jersey. Thank you. Look, I feel so indebted here. Is there anything I can do for you people? It was the blonde's fiance, Harrison Hartley III. Why would he take your purse? asked Jeffries. Wilton, I'm about ready to turn back to the Flintstones. Okay, okay, said Jeffries as he leaned toward Patch and spoke in a lower voice. Even Buzz Murdoch is confused. The cops don't believe her, said Becky as she sat down. Patch produced a grin as Buzz Murdoch drove the blonde in the Corvette near Hollywood. He leaned back in the chair as his heart thumped. Now he could find Mankiewicz in New Jersey. What would he say to this younger man with the meager dilation experience in 1961? Mankiewicz might balk at the far-fetched time travel story. Intelligence people would then be contacted. Without great finesse, Patch might get himself killed. Patch slowly opened his eyes to the black and white image of an airliner crew in distress. His body had sunk into a deeply relaxed state. He blinked his eyes as he watched the confounded crew. Where's the Corvette? This is the Twilight Zone, Captain, said Jeffries. You got that right. They're at 3,000 knots. Patch smiled. Is that a commercial airliner? I don't think so. Something's happened to them, said Becky. They lost radio contact. Patch grinned and folded his hands over his chest. He closed his eyes and listened to the crew on the TV set bring the plane down. Kate entered his thoughts again in the blood-covered Mankiewicz at Sector 13. They've gone back in time, said Jeffries. Patch opened his eyes and sat up as the TV airliner crew gazed out the window. No buildings on Manhattan Island, Becky. Dear God, eight million people missing. Patch dredged up the image of an incinerated New York again. He thought about Carlos Sanchez, Bonheim, and Higgins who had defected to Russia. These people constructed the building blocks of a deadly history that Patch had to change before retrograde sent him back to 1986. Dinosaurs, cried Becky, putting down her knitting. This show always scares me. Wilton, you heard the captain, said Jeffries, grinning at Patch. Not you, Captain, the one on TV. He said, somehow we've gone back in time. What they won't come up with on TV, said Patch as his heart thumped. They made it back. New York's all right, said Becky. What do you think of that, Captain? I just hope, Mrs. Jeffries, that you're right.